Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hello, welcome back to our uh, French President's Special. Uh, we've done De Gaulle, we've done Pompidou, we've done Destang, uh, all of whom were on the right. Um, and now we come to the first left-wing president, François Mitterrand, who came to power in 1981. But, Dominic, uh, he did not begin as a left-winger, did he? No, he didn't, actually. It's funny, because actually Chirac who succeeded him began he on was the communist left. and uh, <laughs> yeah. Mitterrand yeah. began on the kind of conservative nationalist Catholic right uh, in the 1930s. I mean, Mitterrand and Chirac are both, uh, they are two immensely kind of vulpine, feline, cynical men who make British politicians, I think, look like absolute paragons of principle. Um, so, so Mitterrand, born in 1916, uh, comes from a Catholic conservative family in the southwest in the Charente. We, you were talking before the break about the war. I mean, Mitterrand mm. has quite a dubious war. Because he does. He spends the first yeah. half basically working as a civil servant in the Vichy. Well, he's, he's, he's a PAW, isn't he? He gets, he gets captured. He is, he is and, to be and he escapes, in inverted commas, and then, before you know it, is working in the Vichy government. Yeah. And there's the definite whiff of something that doesn't entirely hang together there. But then he flees to London in 1943 and is involved with the resistance. So he sort of, I mean, most people I think would say about Mitterrand is he has a foot in both camps. And, yeah. and actually, you know what, we could easily beat up on him about that. But most French men and women had a foot in both camps one way or another. I mean, the lines were not de Gaulle exactly didn't. clear. Well, okay, de Gaulle didn't in the 19th. But apart from de Gaulle and apart from a handful of people, you know, most people are sort of treading a fine line between But I just mentioned that because... Um, Mitterrand does kind of, you know, he, he, he moves to the left um, and he kind of makes a name for himself as someone who is the anti-De Gaulle. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. He, so when De Gaulle came in in 1958, redoes the constitution, sets up the Fifth Republic, Mitterrand is quite outspoken in opposing him. And Mitterrand is also the person who stands against him during De Gaulle's first kind of national sort of democratic presidential election do you see this that Mitterrand was also accused at this point of faking an assassination attempt against himself yes yes yeah the yes. observatory very, affair very uh, very weird and de Gaulle refuses to make political capital out of it on the grounds that Mitterrand may end up becoming president and therefore yeah to do so would uh, lower the dignity of the uh, of that the sounds to me, I saw that story and I thought that sounds to me like a story that Mitterrand has told himself De Gaulle wouldn't use that against me because he knew that one day I would be president of France. Well, no, because that that would imply that um, that Mitterrand was up was up to no good. So I don't see, think Mitterrand would have originated it. But did De Gaulle really say one day that young man will be? I don't know. That sounds very kind of like Alfred the Great going to Rome to me. Well, absolutely. I mean, but, but it's um, it, it exemplifies De Gaulle's elevated sense of the presidency. Maybe and that ultimately the the standing of the presidency is greater than the political rivalry between left and right. Maybe. So I think it's a kind of paradigmatic story. Well, Mitterrand that. had sort of. So anyway, Mitterrand comes in 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 1981, and he's been in French politics forever, and he's very good at, I think, playing the president. You know, I think that that absolutely. sort of absolutely that sort of Hollywood the hauteur. Yeah, the Ota, the he's he of course has pretty good relations with you know Margaret Thatcher. Contrary to what everyone thinks, he famously says she has the what is it, the eyes of Killigilla and the lips of Marilyn Monroe. 
he's he's a great pal of hers in the Falklands War. Um, she handbags him in European summits, and he doesn't really mind. Um, he's sort of he's a char he's he's got this sort of charming lounge lizard side mm. um, that I think French presidents should have, and actually generally do have. Um, but he 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 starts off incredibly le- to the left, doesn't he? Yeah, and then and he kind of nationalizes everything, and then um, yeah, and then he he kind of gets forced into a corner by um, yeah. the millions of Zurich. <laughs> Basically, exactly. Yeah, he has a thing called the hundred and ten propositions. So he has a wealth tax, and he's going to increase the minimum wage. He's going to nationalize sorts of things. Very kind of um, Benite, to use a British term, uh, program. He comes in with that in 81, and by about 83, 84, he's abandoned that, and they had this thing called the the turning towards rigor, which is actually masterminded by his finance minister, Jacques Delors, uh, later boss of the European Commission. Up um, yours, Delors. Yeah, as the sun. I, it's good to hear you see ventriloquizing the sun, Tom. I think you should do that more <laughs> often. We've had gotcha, so that's the other famous uh, headline. So he sort of moves back towards the centre, which is a, quite a common thing, I think, for French presidents, that over time, they, they they start with great ambitions, whether on the right or the left, and over time they basically end up being to survive. They become kind of technical. But, it, but it's, it's more than that, isn't it? It's also that um, if you are truly to be president of all the French, you have to be in the centre. Yeah, there are lots of French because you, you you're playing a kind of monarchical role. Yeah, that's fair. so. If you yeah. you know if you're very party pre, if you're very much of the right, very much of the left, you, it's harder to do that. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's fair enough. Um, but the other thing with Mitterrand is that he he conforms to all the sort of stereotypes of French presidents. So first of all, he publishes false reports about his health and does so from the very beginning. I think mm-hmm. so. It's it's still I think not entirely clear how long he was ill for. So how long he had, he had prostate cancer, which eventually killed him. So how long he had that for during his presidency. He also gets up to various sort of dodgy things. He wiretaps journalists. Bizarrely, Tom, did you see this? He wiretapped one of the people he wiretaps is uh, the Bond girl, Carol Bouquet from Fior Eyes Only. Why was he doing that? I think she was going out with a journalist at the time or something. Right. Um, but anyway, perhaps yeah. we should do a podcast about Bond girls too. Who've been wiretapped. Yeah. To, to clear that up. Yeah. Um, but, but but also he um, he builds. I mean he he builds Paris. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the the pyramid in the Louvre and uh, uh, what else does he do? I can't remember. Um, yeah, he does lots of um, Musée d'Orsay. All right. That kind he of does stuff. lots of stuff in Paris, but also Jacques Lang, his um, culture minister. He is his culture minister. Yeah. Um, but also there are two other things about uh, Mitterrand that I think are entertaining. So one is the fact that he's obviously got the secret family life mm. um so now this is absolutely extraordinary and actually at first you think oh it's actually quite a touching story but then when you look into it it's a really dodgy story um he has this relationship for 33 years with the louvre's sculpture expert um, uh, a woman called anne panjo i think her name is um and you sort of think oh he's got this you know very french behavior he's got this other family and he's got a daughter with her and stuff but actually when i looked into it they met tom did you see this? He was in his early 40s and she was 14. <laughs> so French presidents and uh, women of a very disproportionate age. This is, is a, another is theme. A common theme. We'll... <laughs> because I get this. They met because her, he, her father played golf with him at the okay. seaside and brought him back to the house afterwards for a drink or something and said, oh, I'd like to introduce my, my, my 14-year-old know, daughter. My 14-year-old barely teenage daughter. They ended up having a 33-year relationship and having a daughter called Mazarin, who only basically emerged into the public spotlight in the 1990s when she was already in her 20s. So that, that side of things is... But he had a son as well, didn't he? 
Yes, I can't. A Swedish journalist. That's right. He, did. he was called. He did indeed. Which is a very improbable name for the son of a French president. It's a sort of very Viking name, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's like um, something of the Northmen. But then there's also, Tom, Mitterrand's sort of, you know, Mitterrand's shuffling, shuffling off this mortal coil. So he leaves office in 1995, but he's already basically terminally ill. And he dies on the 8th of January 1996. But before that, he has a last meal. Yes. Have you studied Peter Ron's last I knew about this. So as you'll know, I'm very keen on conservation. Yeah, on birds. And not killing endangered birds. This is so he has oysters and foie gras. Foie gras already, you know, controversial in some quarters. And he has this great sort of French um delicacy, an ortolan bunting. You know these birds? (laughs) (laughs) I endangered birds. And the way they eat them, they force feed them. First, that's very French culinary behavior. Then they drown the bird in Armagnac. Yeah. I mean, they literally drown it, sort of Duke of Clarence style. And then the way you eat it is it, the bird is roasted. You you take the bird by its head. And you put it, no, you, and you put a, a napkin over your head. Right, a napkin or a towel over your own yeah. head. You eat the bird um, whole, crunching all the bones. Then you have to spit out all the bones underneath your towel. And this is the most tremendous... It is apparently the most rapturous culinary experience. Is it? Apparently. Think, I think all the stuff about the bones puts me off for one thing. Eat an autolat and die, which is what Mitron did. Well, it is what he did. Because that was his um, last meal, wasn't it? I think the thing about putting a towel over your head, I mean, is that going to catch on? Surely, surely not. Supposedly that's yeah. because you, you can't... Um, some people claim that that's because it intensifies the aroma. And others say it's because you can't... You know, what you're doing is a sin and God can't see you doing it. Uh, I think both of those are, are entirely plausible. Um, yeah, well, I think I think we've summed up the key events of Mitron's presidency there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He, he, Eating birds. He ate a, he ate a bird soaked in Armagnac. <laughs> Hanging around with teenagers. He had two religious for children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and uh, did he do anything else, Dominic? He, I mean, he, he was very, he, um, he negotiated he, with, with uh, Thatcher. He blew and, up the Rainbow Warrior. And, and Bush. <laughs> oh, yeah, he blew up the Rainbow Warrior. But um, he he um, he played a key role in the end of the Cold War. Yeah, German unification. German unification. Yeah. Um, and he had a moving ceremony, didn't he, with Chancellor Cole. They held hands. They held hands. Yeah. And stood sweet. in the rain together. Yes. As a symbol of, of Franco-German amateur. Chancellor Cole, I think, is a man who would eat a bird. <laughs> but I don't think <laughs> Chancellor Cole was a man of such... Although Chancellor Cole actually ended up in later life as... Some listeners may remember being sort of imprisoned by his yeah, evil nurse, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's all, I'd, I'd rather have Mitron's fate, I think. Probably. It's all, I mean, the more you do this, British politics just looks so tawdry. And so, no, I think it looks uh, incredibly sensible by comparison. There's none of yeah, this. It looks, yes, it looks bourgeois, doesn't None it? of this happened I mean, to John like, Major. I mean, no. he's never eaten a bird with a towel over his head. Well, and, and, and talking of, of, <laughs> of bad behaviour, um, the, the next president... Uh, is none other than Jacques Chirac, who we met- yeah. mentioned earlier. As and he's absolutely a constant, isn't he? I mean, he he is there the whole way through. Yeah, like a kind of bad smell. Chirac basically got involved with politics when he was about two or <laughs> yeah. something. And, yeah, and was yeah. constantly sort of plotting and being prime minister. And so he's prime minister twice in the seventies, so and yeah. he falls out with Giscard. 
And then, so he's um, prime minister under Giscard, and then he's prime minister under um, under Mitterrand. That's the first example of cohabitation which you, exactly. you mentioned, where you have people from different parties, kind of once a prime minister and once a president. Yeah, uh, and and in between that, he was also mayor of Paris. Well, Chirac is uh, so so. Chirac is is too young to have been involved in the war. He's born in 1932. His father was an aircraft company executive. He was a communist, as you said, when he was young, and and uh, he went to Sciences Po. He went to. Um, Ena, so he's another Enarch. He's from those elite kind of um, training colleges for French politicians. Um, he worked for Pompidou. Pompidou called him the bulldozer. But I think the thing about Chirac in, is Chirac, in English, le bulldozer. So he's le bulldozer. Yeah. The thing about Chirac is his absolute world class cynicism. I think, isn't it? I mean, he is an yeah. absolutely shameless uh, grafter, completely corrupt kind of will you know unprincipled but but he, yeah, but he and, wears and, that and and the key the key kind of example of that that opportunism is the way well he he changes the constitution doesn't he so that the term of office will be five years rather than seven yeah but also to kind of stiff the left he makes it easier for the far right to participate in the electoral process um and the far right basically means jean-marie le pen yeah who will come to in due course um, and it's under Chirac that you have the kind of the, the development where Jean-Marie Le Pen makes it to the second round in the, the, the 2002 well, election. Yes. And so people vote for him and they say better to vote for the crook than the fascist. Yeah. Better the crook than the fascist. Uh, he, and I think everyone had been expecting that, that the man who had served as his prime minister in a, in a second experience of cohabitation, Lionel Jospin, the yeah. um the socialist leader would would make it through and i i always adored uh jospin because he looked exactly like a baby owl do you remember him <laughs> i do remember jospin adorable yeah. little imagine him falling out of a nest he looked a bit like um that guy jolian morm didn't he yes but more like more like an owl than jolian okay morm. all right well the two things about chirac that i think uh are more obviously opposed to rock Yes, so he opposed Iraq and he was very rude about British cooking. Cooking. He said it was only Finnish cooking was worse. And I think Finnish yeah. cooking is now very fashionable. So Chirac looks yeah, a it fool. Is, yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but Chirac was, was was colossally corrupt as mayor of Paris. He was mayor of Paris from 1977 to 1995. It was a new job. He did a bit of a kind of Boris Johnson. So he took this sort of this new job running a um a capital city and he used it as a as a platform to advance his kind of national ambitions. But when he was running Paris, they had vote rigging. They had tons of kickbacks on public housing. Lots of people had made up fictional jobs, um, sort of dozens of fictional jobs that actually were, you know, he was paying money to people in his party. Um, he spent hundreds of thousands of euros on um, gardening for himself and members of his own party. And he spent, would you believe, 15 million euros a year, Tom, on... Um, on food, which seems even if you're buying those birds, yeah, that's a lot of that's a lapkin, lot of birds. The autolayer. Well, I I remember I was um I was writing Rubicon during uh, this this period of Chirac's presidency, where lawyers were kind of sniffing around his record, yeah, and there were there were all kinds of talks of bringing him to trial for corruption, and basically he he wanted office, um in uh, in two thousand and two. Because it would continue to give him immunity, exactly, and that's very yeah. like uh, Caesar in Gaul having to keep up his uh, his term of office so that he can't be brought to trial. Um, and and I remember that as a kind of a parallel. That he's a uh, very very high class 
in, in that side of his life, he's a very high class Silvio Berlusconi, using yeah. sort of Berlusconi was the same. Yeah. To, using political office to protect himself, he also has this again, this sort of uh, colourful sex life. So his wife Bernadette, he and his wife called each other Vu instead of Chu. Um, to the ends of their lives, very formal. Which you might think very formal, but also I think was a reflection of their slightly strained. Because um, she basically said after he died, you know, I, I stayed with him. I didn't really want to. He treated me very badly. His show, he, his chauffeur would take him on all these assignations. And I've read two different versions of this. So one is that the chauffeur would call him Mister Fifteen Minutes, shower included. <laughs> yes, I- and the other was that they called him Mister Three Minutes, shower included. <laughs> But either way, anyway, it wasn't flattering. And uh, yes, yeah, so Chirac was his most spectacular um, liaison was supposedly with um, the actress Claudia Cardinale, who was in The Leopard and Once Upon a Time. She starred with Alain Delon, Tom. Yeah, so it all, con- it all, it all connects. Yeah, it all connects. Um, but he must have, I mean, he had achievements as well. I think actually the funny thing is Chirac, he looks like a French president. When you see him at those sort they of all summits. They do. He has that kind of French president nose that Destang had, that Mitterrand had, that Chirac had. Yeah. Chirac and then Sarkozy, who follows him, lets the side down. Well, well, Chirac hated Sarkozy because Sarkozy had backed one of his rivals in the 1990s, a guy called Edouard Balladur. But before we get into Sarkozy, let's quickly take a break for some publicité. See you in a sec. Welcome back to The Rest is History. So, Dominic, Sarkozy succeeds Chirac in 2007. Uh, Sarkozy is obviously a different generation. It's 1955. And, and, and actually, I think the French president starts to become less interesting from this point because... I think Sarko is pretty interesting. But Sarko is, is, is a ludicrous character, isn't he? Yes. but I but, mean, he's nothing but, but a ludicrous and corrupt well, character. Well, so he wears, pla- he wears platform heels. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he, again, has a kind of great great marital record because he has three wives doesn't he of whom the most famous is carla bruni yes yeah that's right uh who's about three feet taller than he is um, <laughs> but he was also married to a to a model yeah uh and he uh, and he married someone else who's uh, and one of their sons is a hip-hop producer i saw that so yeah it's it's so because he kind of made his name his president part, bling bling wasn't he? partly as a sort of hardline interior minister so when the yeah, he basically says, um, I think it's about 2005. He says, "I will clean up this scum. I will, I will, I will clean this scum off the streets with a with a with a basically a pressure hose." Yeah, so so that's in the volume, isn't it? And there were um, three boys, and they get kind of electrocuted in a power station or something. And that's then right. It's a whole this, series yeah. of riots, and Sarkozy was the home minister at that time. That's right. And and he said he wanted they, he called them rakai, so yeah. scum. Yeah. And said that he wanted to uh, apply a pressure hose to them, um, yeah. and and so that was actually, I mean, it got him lots of of blowback from the left, but lots of votes. But but um, yeah, and and that of course is, a, I guess, a, a kind of growing theme in French politics is a kind of you know a a, a kind of a, a hard right edge to narratives about race and particularly Islam. Yeah, I think that's true because Islam was not really an issue in French politics in the 1970s and 80s, even though there were lots of settlers from. I mean, when I say settlers, I mean there were lots of uh, pieds noir, and there were also lots of um, what the French would call Arabs, because that's the word that they would often use. That wasn't uh, that wasn't a theme in the 70s and 80s. It was anti-immigration theme, but it wasn't anti-Islamist or Islamic. But that obviously became a much bigger issue from the 1990s. Yeah. Well, so so. Um... 
Sarkozy's interior minister during the um, the decade after 9-11. Yeah. Uh, and actually kind of Islamist attacks in France are probably the worst, the worst in the continent, worst yeah. in Europe. So that is kind of the, his, his forging ground. And it, it, I think the reason why you say he's a, he's a comical character is that an important part of his image is this kind of hard man, pressure hosing the banlieue, all that kind of stuff. And yet he's, he's very small, wears platform heels and can't quite carry it off. Yeah, because the hard man thing is posturing, um, political posturing, I think. The first thing he does when he – I mean, such Sarkozy behavior, sort of – the first thing – you know, the first thing he did when he became president was to double his own salary, which, <laughs> which I think is, is exactly what you would expect. Yeah. And obviously he then is involved in the most – again, more hideous scandals, wiretapping. He's accused of taking 50 million euros from the Libyans – um, from the Libyan government, which I mean, when you think that he was the great, well, he joins with Cameron, doesn't he? Yeah, he was the great uh, sort of war progenitor against, uh, of the attack yeah. on on Libya. Yeah, and you, you, I basically with Sarkozy and then with his successor, you basically get two failed presidencies, two people who don't play the the de Gaulleish part and who don't represent in any way the grandeur of France. I mean, Sarkozy because his ambition, I think, is too naked, and because he is he is nothing but pure ambition in many ways. Um, Agreed. And greed, and then he is succeeded in 2012 by a man who basically he bills himself as Mister Normal. That's the the phrase he uses. But the phrase that most people use to describe François Hollande is Monsieur Flamby, and a Flamby is a kind of cre- that's like a kind of creme caramel, like a custard yeah, pudding. Kind of wobbles, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. although he has an excellent name. Well, uh, and do you know the name of his eldest son, Tom Hollande? You <laughs> oui. Thomas no, Hollande. Thomas really... Hollande. Yeah, it's an excellent name. But Tom, he he brings the Hollande dynasty into slight disrepute, doesn't he? <laughs> no, so we, we, we point out that he has an E on the end of his name. Right. Otherwise, you're right. He would bring shame on the name of Hollande. Because he really is a lesson. He's, I think, the least interesting of all French presidents because he was a special, he was an anarch. He was a special advisor to Mitterrand, spokesman for Jospin. Well, and he's married to Ségolène Royal. Who had been beaten by Sarkozy in 2007. Yes. Yeah. And who, who in a way is kind of much more interesting dynamic figure. Yeah. Uh, and something we haven't mentioned up till now is that all of these presidents have been men. Yeah. And Ségolène Royal was, was supposed to, she was the one who was supposed to become president. But Hollande, I had a look at Hollande's um, campaign website, Tom, from oh, we- uh, 2012. <laughs> if you click on dot com or dot fr or whatever do you know what it is it's actually now a website selling air conditioning units said it all about Hollande because he became so when he became president we talked this thing about the grandeur he was inaugurated during this terrible rainstorm and there are the most hilarious images of him he looks kind of an unprepossessing bloke anyway but he's absolutely drenched i mean he's standing there with this very Clouseau-like sort of sense of yeah. dignity, yeah. as though someone's basically as though God is pouring a bucket of water over it's his kind head. Kind of Monsieur Hulot, yeah, it is that kind of quality. To his, it. Yeah. Do, do you know the nadir of his approval rating in the French public? Fourteen percent or something? Twelve percent? Four percent? Four percent? Goodness, four percent. Well, was was that because he he also? I mean, considering that he's not the most prepossessing of men. No, I mean he, he Chirac. Mitterrand, I mean, you can see there's a kind of suavity. A Their main you can see in the cocktail said. lounge yes. of a mid-century yes. bar. They are they are like foxes in a chicken coop. Yeah. Um, but but a lot, but but very very kind of spectacular. He splits up with uh, from uh, Royale. Yeah, she throws him out, I think, because he's been carrying on with a journalist, Valerie what, Trier. Trier Yeah, 
Um, and then and then he dumps on her. He does with an actress, uh, Julie Gaillet. Yeah. And um, he was and he was photographed famously, wasn't he, on a kind of little moped, a wearing, wearing a scooter, wearing wearing a very very unprepossessing crash helmet. But the great thing about that was that his uh, the guy who was driving the scooter he made him stop stop off to buy some croissants. <laughs> I mean, just you you sort of think uh, this could be invented by some terrible seventies <laughs> British. You know, what I'd writer, love to hear but... is an equivalent to this podcast doing the same to our, to British prime ministers. I mean, I'm sure they'd seem equally risible, but maybe um, they would. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they'd concentrate <laughs> on the same really crucial issues that we've been concentrating <laughs> yeah. on. Their love life. Do we have anything to say about Alon's policies uh, beyond the fact that he? <laughs> Got um, wet, got rained on. Um, no, I mean, obviously, Hollande is, Hollande is in power in the second half of the 2010s, a pretty wretched period, I suppose you would say, for the sort of Western democratic world anyway. Um, and it, and pretty soon after he's inaugurated, I think the French make up their minds he's a busted flush. And of course, he has this young industry minister who he's recruited from Rothschilds, who is Emmanuel Macron. And in 2016, I think it is, so Hollande hasn't been there very long. Um, Macron founds his own party, En Marche, with his own initials, and basically then leaves the government, and Hollande is, doesn't know what to make of it. But Macron, unlike Hollande, despite the fact that he's so young and frankly so strange, is is brilliant at playing. He, he plays the grandeur of France in a way that yeah. Hollande and Sarkozy weren't capable of doing, don't you think? Well, I, I do, and I think that Macron, although he... I mean, he immolates the Socialist Party that had been led by, by Hollande and yeah. of which uh, Macron had been a minister. He also immolates the Gaullist Party because the Gaullist candidate François Fillon uh, gets caught up in a inevitably a scandal um, involving his Welsh wife, Penny. That's right. Um, who uh, had, had been supposedly employed as a secretary and had been paid yeah. quite a lot for secretarial services. So essentially... Um, Macron, in a way, is the kind of the quintessence of a French president, because we're talking about the idea of the, the president rising above party politics in that kind of goalist sense. In a way, Macron is the most goalist president of all, because he actually destroys the party system. Yeah, He leaves, I mean, he, he has immolated the parties of the centre-right and the, the centre-left, so that all that is left now in French politics are the two extremes of the of the left and the right. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think because Macron would say, I'm above such petty distinctions. I'm above ideology. I represent France, the grandeur and he of does. France. Yeah, and I Superbly, think, I think. But Macron also has that thing of being slightly strange. Oh, I mean, in, uh, indisputably. I mean, he's, an, he's another one for the, um, the kind of the weird age gap. Well, I mean, Although he it met, works better for him because it, this time it's it's his wife. He's he, he, twenty four years older, I think. Yes, he met. They met when he was fifteen, and so she that's was in Amiens, isn't it? And she at school, she was his drama teacher. She was thirty nine, and he was and, and married with children. He was fifteen, and of course, you know, he's all his life he's basically had to cope with people laughing at that, sneering at it, whatever. But actually, what is even more extraordinary, Tom, his best man at his wedding. Yeah. Did you see this? Yeah. His best man was born in 1924. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I worked out, his best man is 53 years his senior. Yeah. So in yeah. other words, that means that my son, if my son does a Macron, his best man is currently 63 and yeah. he's 10. Yeah. Uh, that's quite hard. But that's not going to gonna happen, is it? Well, I've got, 
I would be absolutely astounded if that if what if yeah. if, if Arthur's future best man is is, <laughs> is 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 more than a decade my senior. Um, I think Macron. Macron clearly. We talked right at the beginning about De Gaulle writing that story about himself, General De Gaulle beating the Germans when he was fifteen. Just a very sort of Churchillian thing to do. Macron clearly has that sense. I mean, there are lots of stories about him saying to people when he was at school, "Well, I'm going to be president of France. I'm going to lead France. All this kind of stuff." I think he. I mean, I think he is um, the embodiment of huge numbers of the trends that we've talked about in a kind of very, very self-conscious way. So he's been most recently in the news, aside from the election for the role that he's played in um, essentially keeping lines of communication open with Putin. He wants to be the man at the end of that long table. He does, but he also wants to situate France midway between... Yeah, he does. ...between China, Russia, whatever, and and the United States. So he said that NATO is brain dead. Uh, He's very keen on that. He's incredibly hostile to Britain. I mean, that's another kind of theme of, of, you know, that's a kind of go-list tradition, I guess. He had a, a great grandfather from Bristol, Oh, really? who'd fought in the First World War and who then cheated on his wife and ran off. And, uh, and that's why. But that is a theory as to why he's But he also does that. He also absolutely, absolutely incarnates that thing that to, to an Anglo-Saxon viewer of, of treading that very fine line between being sort of impressive and being utterly ridiculous. So wearing the hoodie, the Paris, French Paris hoodie yeah, in emulation. Yeah, that was very sweet. I think, I think he's much more impressive than ridiculous. Or posing in the last two days, Tom, showing off his bare chest. Have you seen this? His yeah, hairy but chest. that's 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 what French. That's what the French do. I mean, um, what's his name? Jean Paul Sartre didn't do that. Bernard Henri Levy does it. Does he's he? always showing off his chest. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. I th- I mean, At least you're not going in for like <laughs> ludicrous. We absolutely haven't gone in for ludicrous um, national stereotypes <laughs> in this podcast. That's one thing we've very I, much. I think, I think Macron is. is um, I mean, I think he's the most impressive current uh, Western leader by a, a long, long way. I, I think. Well, I mean, the competition. I, I don't think exactly. it's. Been, I don't think it's been. I don't think it's necessarily been good for France because I think that uh, a healthy democratic system depends on healthy parties of the left and the right yeah. contesting one another. And I think that 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 he has essentially by annihilating that, I think he's put French democracy in quite a quite a kind of treacherous state, quite an awkward state. But I think that as a political leader, as uh, an embodiment of his nation, I think he's in, indisputably impressive. Uh, he's charismatic. You know, his his achievement in becoming president has, uh, at the young age he has done. There's a definite trend here, Tom, because you love Tony Blair as well. And they're basically, yeah, I think he's a very Blairite figure. He is a very Blairite figure. I do like these kind of, um, yeah, charismatic. You, you like kind of, he- like kind of. Charismatic centrists. Charismatic yeah. centrists to undo too many buttons, basically. That's, <laughs> that's, yeah, maybe. That's what you look for in a man. Well, but don't you think he's impressive? I mean, he's more impressive than uh, Schultz or Johnson or Biden or... Well, he's younger than Biden. Um, that's <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, indisputably. I mean, he could be his, Biden could be his best man. <laughs> he could. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, he could be married to Mrs. Biden and <laughs> Joe is his yeah. best man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you think i think he i mean i i agree it's not it's not a you know the current crop of western leaders aren't amazing but i, th- I think well what i suppose what i think is great politicians um or, or very successful politicians they have a profound consciousness of their of themselves in the, being in the sort of the the gaze of of history and of playing a part. You know, they walk onto stage and they're conscious that all eyes are on them and they rise to that. I mean, I always think of there's an amazing clip actually of Macron, because he, he was very young. He was president at 39. 
and there's a clip of him soon after he becomes president and he he's going on a walk about and there's lots of there's all crowds and there's kids you know kids teenagers and one of them shouts at him as he walks past Sava manu you know how's it going and and macron stops with the cameras on him and he goes back to this boy and he says basically i'm not manu to you you call me mr president um and i thought you know in britain if a prime minister behaved like that, people would say, God, the prime minister, what a, what a terrible ass!" You know? Well, John Prescott's the model for how to behave <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a situation like that. You punch him. Yeah, he's would. got a mullet. <laughs> and we should explain that that's a reference to uh, John Prescott, yeah. Tony Blair's deputy prime minister, who got hit by an egg. Yeah, who punched a protester. And, and exactly. Punched, but Macron, the Macron doing that, Macron has this tremendous sense of, his, of the grandeur of France, that thing that we talked about at the beginning. Um, and I think that's... I mean, it's it's terrible to gener- to degenerate international stereotypes as much as we've done, but obviously that is a key element of the French presidency: yeah. this monarchical sense. But we said right from the beginning that that is what you have to measure up to, and that by that standards, uh, Macron, I think, is is probably yeah the most fair. impressive president since uh, since De Gaulle. And so, by the time you listen to this, you'll know whether he has obtained re-election or not. I think that even if he does, I think France is in a bit of a mess because. Um, I imagine that the Marine Le Pen will have done better than she did in the previous time that these two figures yeah, contested the election. The last time, I think, didn't she? Uh, and we haven't really talked about the Le Pens, um, but they are kind of a, a, a shadow lurking in the background because um, the French presidency was was set up by de Gaulle, who defined himself against the Vichy tradition. Yeah. And in a way, the Le Pens embody that kind of the, the Vichy tradition. So there's a sense in which there is a you know, a political tradition there that is antithetical to de Gaulle and therefore perhaps to the entire idea of the of the presidency as it was formulated by de Gaulle. I think that's fair because actually, I mean, and actually that goes back even earlier than uh, than than Vichy, um, Tom, because Jean-Marie Le Pen, Marine Le Pen's father, who basically founded her party and founded her movement, even though they've they've fallen out with each other, he was first involved in politics with a group that was associated with a group called Action Française, which was a far-right movement, ultra-Catholic, ultra-royalist, dating from the late 19th century, that was opposed to the, really to the very idea of the Republic. And yes, in some he's, ways... He's a, he's a monarchist, isn't he? In some ways, you could royalist. say that's what the Le Pen political movement yeah. represents. And also, also, also talking about the idea of being antithetical to, to what de Gaulle represents, Jean-Marie Le Pen was very, very opposed to uh, Algeria, de Gaulle's Algerian policy... Well, Jean-Marie Le Pen uh, was an intelligence officer in Algeria. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and suppose, you know, there are rumours involved with torture or whatever, yeah. as so many people were. So, yeah, there is a sort of – people forget that before the Second World War, French politics had been incredibly conflicted. The very existence of the Republic had been up for debate. There had been talk of civil war in the 1930s. And those kind of ruptures, you know, obviously they're very different now, but the sort of – I don't know, I'm mixing my metaphors terribly, but the kind of aftershocks of all that, the the reverberations of it, they're still there to this day. And the Le Pen movement, you know, it's not just, oh, it's the left behind, you know, people across about immigration or globalization or whatever. It has deeper roots, I think, that go back absolutely, to the, yeah, absolutely. To, to sort of late 19th century, early 20th century France, the Dreyfus case and all this kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, and of course, someone who we, we haven't mentioned who definitely won't become president because he's been knocked out is Eric Zemmour. Who, yeah. um, I mean, even though he's Jewish, has kind of chunted a little bit about um, whether Dreyfus was actually innocent. And, yes, and has, extraordinary, and has extraordinary. kind of chunted about whether Vichy was really as bad as um, people have said. Uh, and Marine Le Pen, I mean, we should say, has um, she has adopted a policy of uh, trying to clear things up. 
Um, so she has fallen out with her father. He's, she's expelled him from the uh, from 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 the party. They've renamed um, the Front National, the National Front. I can't remember what she's called it now, but um, changed the name. Um, National Rally, always, I think it is something it? like that. Uh, and she's always posing with her cats, isn't she? Uh, she she's a a Persian cat breeder. Is she? Ali Ansari yes. would be impressed by that behavior. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, she she has you know tried to tidy things up, and I guess you could. I mean, one of the of course the other thing is. That again seems very, very striking. Actually, looking the whole way back over these presidents is how very, very right wing France is. Yeah, and we tend not to think of France as being right wing, I suppose, because of the revolution. Yeah, but you know, the vast majority of these presidents have been on the right. All of them, except for um, Mitterrand and Hollande. Macron, I, I mean, he's clearly veered to the right. I think drifted yes. to the right. Yes, uh, you could say about Le Pen, although she's described as far right. Her policies, you know, her economic policies, her social policies are very, very uh, left, left wing. Well, I mean, much more left wing than protectionist. They're protectionist. Um, and since, you know, that is the intriguing element in this election is that uh, Mélenchon, who's the kind of the French Corbyn, um, <laughs> picked up, you know, he came third just behind uh, Marine Le Pen. Where will, where will his votes go? Because it's not immediately obvious that that Macron would be more appealing to them. You yeah, know, I think it's a, a globalist liberal. Um, you know, it's a very good point you make, Tom, about um, French politics, and I think people often get that wrong, particularly in Britain, because in Britain, where France is kind of the other, um, I think particularly people on the liberal left have a fantasy image of France. They think it's all kind of sipping rosé wine in leafy gardens, and 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 wearing polo necks and talking about existentialism. But in reality, I mean, I can remember very vividly, just to end on a kind of note of utter self-indulgence, when, when I was a language assistant in France in the mid-1990s, I remember once in it was 1995 or six. so there were um, – the Le Pen sort of bandwagon was really underway, but also the, the arguments about Islam were, were really sort of kicking off. And I can remember at one point very foolishly thinking this would be a good idea to have a conversation about this with my kind of 17, 18-year-old students. And they lived in a affluent sort of town in the south of France. I assumed utterly naively that they would think just like I did and my contemporaries in England, because obviously I didn't know anybody in England who was on the kind of far right. And I mentioned Le Pen in this sort of dismissive way, or gosh, isn't it shocking that Jean-Marie Le Pen gets so much support? And I couldn't believe how many of these, you know, trendy, good-looking 17, 18-year-olds you know, not at all left behind kind of people thought Le Pen was tremendous. And actually the first thing they generally said was, well, he'll, you know, he'll clear up all the Arabs. Um, they said that to you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Without Goodness. any, without the slightest sense of, um, well, of shame or in a way that I don't think a similar group of people in England or Scotland by and large, the sense in England and Scotland is yeah. that, um, people under the age say of 25, will identify with Jeremy Corbyn or with Nicola yeah. Sturgeon and see them as kind of progressive. By the radicals. way, if you're, if you're Welsh, we haven't forgotten you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't know how. Yeah, I guess, I mean, young Welsh voters likewise would, would vote for, for Labour, I guess. You know, they'd be anti-Tory. They'd be yeah. anti-Tory. The assumption that young people are more liberal, which doesn't work in France. I gather that the overwhelming majority of under-25s in France are voting Le Pen. Well, I don't well, seem unusual. We shall, we shall see if that happens. But, but historically, Tom... The Front National has done well with young voters. Um, and Very that sort of turns on its head what 
but not it's, 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 it's not the Front National anymore, is it? We should no, add, it's add okay. That. It's not the Front National, but it's basically the same, um, <laughs> right? Or is it? I I mean, I don't know what you think about that. So there is there is debate about that. Yeah, about how how much it's changed. Okay, no, to that's what fair extent enough. Le Pen fee would be? I mean, she's definitely a different order of politician to her father, who was an incredibly sinister figure. But the lineage, you can't deny yeah, the, the lineage. lineage I, I do, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. Well, maybe uh, she's president now and we're talking about the, the new president of France, yeah. but I don't think she, she will be. So, um, But and, and that also is a kind of interest, just to return to something I mentioned earlier, the how masculine the French presidency has always been. Yeah. Yeah, um, very true. So contrast there. Could I just also mention one other intriguing detail about the French president? Go on. He is also the co-prince of Andorra. Yes, he is. So that's, that's a great thing, isn't it? Again, it kind of unsettles our sense of I think the French, French republicanism. I think, I think he should make more of that. <laughs> I would make more of that if I was <laughs> well, president. Well, Ma- Macron does. I think Macron is quite keen on the whole yeah. co-prince of Andorra. And I, imagine, I mean, Sarkozy looks like the prince of Andorra. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> he does. Well, he's at home with the tag, Sarkozy. You seen this? He's uh, because he's got a suspended sentence for corruption, so he's he's got permission to spend it at home with a with a electronic with tag Carla. with Carla, yeah, yeah, and Carla and and Chirac had a, had a suspended sentence as well. It basically comes with a you know <laughs> comes with a massive salary. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, on that um, on that note, this has been an incredibly uh, a, a fair, nuanced, reasonable, nuanced, <laughs> nuanced portrait, and not in any way Anglo-Saxon take on the French presidency. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope it complements whatever the uh, the result of the election is. Uh, and uh, we will see you soon. Okay. Au revoir. Au revoir. À la prochaine. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hi, Rest is History fans. If you want more Tom Holland in your life, and frankly, why wouldn't you? I have some good news for you. I'm Emily Dean, and I'm thrilled to say that this week, Tom is a guest on my podcast, Walking the Dog, where you get to hear well-known faces at their most relaxed, because I talk to them over a leisurely outdoor stroll with my dog, Raymond. And you can join us this week for a very special two-part in-depth chat with Tom Holland. And yes, I'm afraid I did ask him this question. Tom, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I think about it a huge amount. In fact, there are days where I barely stop thinking about it. My brain is occupied by the Romans. It's like gall. If you want to hear more of my chat with Tom, give Walking the Dog a listen this week. And while you're there, you can take your pick from episodes starring the likes of Ricky Gervais, Jack Whitehall and Jimmy Carr. What's that, Raymond? Yes, The Rest is History did do an episode all about the greatest dogs in history. No, you weren't in it. Most spoilt dog in history, maybe.